This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I are joined by the Director of Fan Experiences for the Chicago White Sox, Martha Joe Black. Martha chats with us about her experiences working for Jerry Reinsdorf and shares some inspiring stories about her father, Joe Black, who was the first black pitcher to win a World Series game. Please head on over to clubhousepodcast.com, where I will include a link for you to purchase Martha Joe's beautiful book, Joe Black, More Than a Dodger. This episode was recorded inside U.S. Cellular Field. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Got him! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record! There it goes! See ya! I don't believe what I just saw! He's out by five feet at the plate! And that was the worst base running in the history of the game! Fly ball, left field, is deep! Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. I am Anish Jain, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Hi. Our guest today is the coordinator of White Sox fan experiences, but she also happens to be the daughter of Joe Black. For those of you who may not know that name, Joe was the National League Rookie of the Year in 1952 for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That same season, he became the first black pitcher to win a game in the World Series. She's the author of the book, Joe Black, More Than a Dodger. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to hear some amazing stories. Joining us in the clubhouse today, Martha Joe Black. Hi, thanks for having me. And I've never had my name said like that. That's kind of cool. It's very exciting, right? Yeah, it is. He's very I was proud like, of wow. his, his announcer voice. That's right. Yeah. It's really, really, Faux really. announcer voice. Yeah, okay. Well, Hawk Harrison's not retiring at the White Sox, so I, you have to wait to work for there. Stretch. She gone. Stretch. 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 He gone. He gone. We, you know, we, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, a brilliant stand-up comedian, Jimmy Pardo, on the podcast. And as you know, I am wearing my Tigers hat inside enemy territory right now. We are recording this in the bowels of U.S. Cellular Field, in the offices of U.S. Cellular Field. Surrounded and, by 2005 world champion pictures. The World yes. Series champion. Oh, and don't pictures. forget, I have the World Series ring on. Yeah, we'll yeah, have to get a picture of that for the website. Which, you know, the first time I met Martha, you were very, very uh, gracious enough to let me wear the White Sox ring that yes. I sent to uh, several of my friends. So, but so Jimmy and I were talking about Hawk and uh, how Jimmy loves Hawk and how, as a Tigers fan, I love Sad Hawk. I love Schadenfreude Hawk of you know when he goes silent for two minutes or right. and this ball game is over. Well. But I, I can't appreciate why, from the White Sox perspective, you would like, you know, him cheering you on. Do you have a lot of, you know, uh, so you are the coordinator of, of fan experiences. You spend a lot of time in the offices here. Do you really get to interact with Hawk at all or, or not really? Yes, actually, um, all of our announcers and I have the same boss, Bob Grimm, whose uncle played for the Yankees. It's all a baseball world here at the yeah, White Sox. Is that, is that common in, in baseball operations offices that there, mm. there are links that go, you know, far no. back? I would think it's just because of Jerry Reinsdorf. And why is that? Because he's such a huge baseball fan. Yeah. Um, you know, he grew up in Brooklyn. He was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. Yes, that is why I have my job here. Yeah. And I'm very honest about my downfalls. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's just a huge baseball fan. And it just so happens that Bob Grimm's uncle played for the Yankees. But um, to my understanding, Bob Grimm worked for DePaul University in certain aspects. And I guess the job came available 
was way before I lived in Chicago, and that's when Bob um, Grimm started working here. Yeah, so, so he had Chicago ties, plus he had Jerry Reinsworth. Right, ties. Okay. right. Yeah, cool. Because, you know, not that Jerry Reinsworth was a Yankee fan. Sure. But they had that common um, ground to speak on about yeah. baseball and stuff like that. So. Now, was and was Jerry a White Sox fan? I mean... I that I'm not 100% sure of. I know that the team was available to purchase and I can say this in a general way. Jerry's a huge baseball fan. Sure. As my joke is Jerry loves baseball and the Bulls. That's a good person that makes you good money. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Michael Jordan did walk on water as we all know. Um so I definitely think this was his love and passion um is baseball and this was how he became the chairman of sure. the team. Yeah, that's interesting. How, so how long have you been working for the White Sox? I started here in 1993 when I was young. Gosh, so good times. You're still young. Let's not, you know, let's not, you know. My uh, birthday Sunday. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the great Michael Jordan. Yes. So were you around when he was doing his baseball experiment? Yes, I was around, but he was in the minor league, so I didn't see him. Sure. I could tell you from now going back words a little bit um my father was friends with michael jordan um they played golf together yeah i don't know it's very strange <laughs> that's um, i mean that's a there's you, i'm sure you're aware tons of baseball players or golf players oh yeah because once you, you know, finish i think once professional athletes finish something you don't hear the crowd you're still athletic and sure. you still want to win yeah, and sure. golf is very challenging and it's funny that um when michael jordan's mom this is tmi story um was wanted to move to arizona and Michael still played with um, Jerry for the Bulls. And Jerry's like, oh, I have a great person for your mom to meet. So she, he can show her around. And Jordan's like, who? And Jerry's like, oh, Joe Black. He goes, oh, I know JB. I got that. And Jerry was like, you know him? He's like, yeah. I mean, we're both Omegas. We play golf together. Jerry's like, okay. Never mind. Yeah. You, you have yeah. it covered. Um, because Jerry thought he's bringing something. Yeah, sure. So he's like this he's, great oh, person. Yeah, sure. No, no, no. Yeah. Joe Black's anything. a really nice man. He's yeah. normal. He'll yeah. take your mom to normal restaurants, not the most expensive. Yeah, like everything's normal. Um, and Jordan's like, oh, I know him already. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the beginning for the, for the fans that may not know much about Joe Black. And I'll admit that, you know, I knew Joe as a... Uh, as the first black pitcher to win a World Series game. So I knew that kind of little bit of trivia before I met you. Mm -hmm. But then after I met you, I mean, just the stories that you told me about him, the man, and him and who he was as a person were were really inspiring to me because you didn't really get to, to know your dad as a baseball player. No. You really knew him as your dad. Um, so can you just kind of, for, for our listeners out there, do two things for me. One, if you have any memories of your father as a Dodger, even though you weren't really around for that, but maybe stories he told you. And maybe to explain to our listeners his positioning in the world of Major League Baseball as being a black athlete in an era where I mean, he played with Jackie, he played in the Negro Leagues, he played when it wasn't great for, it for black players. It was segregation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, black players were not allowed to play. Um, it wasn't open. The yeah. country wasn't open. Uh, was that? I, I still don't know. Was it a rule or was it yes. just sort of an understanding? No, no, no. It was, it was black player. It was you were not allowed, allowed to play. Allowed to play. Yeah, yeah, because everything was all se – it was segregation yeah. in this country. Um, well, because black players did play in the major leagues, quote, unquote, uh, in the pre – yeah, Oh, well, yes. no, pre-1900s, there were actually black players that were on 
not what we consider Major League Baseball, but yeah. on official Major League Baseball teams, teams there were right. black players. But then at a certain point, it became a hard and fast rule. Yeah. No more black players. I think that the, the great uh, Cap Anson, who was, you know, one of the <laughs> great Cubs of the early, you know, he won World Series with the Cubs. He was virulently opposed to playing in any games involving black players. I know there was there was a story where he showed up with his team. He was a player manager, and he showed up, and there was at least one or two black players on the other team. He's like, nope, not playing. Yeah, you know, very famously just refused to play. I mean, these things are unbelievable to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of that going on. And I think a lot of people um, got to physically see it in film when they did the Jackie Robinson movie 42, um, because that made it a lot easier. And um, I mean, and it's sad because my father grew up in Plainfield, New Jersey, which was didn't matter. You were poor. Let's see. You were white, black, religion, Judaism. Um, Hispanic, you all lived together, you all played together. There was no different, no one knew that you were just black, that you were wrong and anything. Mm. And um, my dad went to high school and I have this great picture, which I will show you, which I found online, very strange. Mm. Um, at a high school picture at Hubbard in New Jersey of my father, he's the only black pitcher, or pit player, excuse me, on the team. Everybody else is white. And there were scouts that came and my dad was like, um, is no one going to look at me? And they're like, no, you're good. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're one of the best athletes here. He goes, well, why aren't you talking to me? He goes, you're colored. My dad's like, yeah, I know that. And my last name's black. So I, I know that <laughs> twice. Um, and this guy's like, well, color guys don't play. And my father went home from school that day and looked at his baseball cards and realized they were all white. Yeah. And he ripped them all up except for his favorite player, Hank Greenberg. Yeah, um, you know, yes. And so um, and my dad didn't get it because he was like, I can't believe this. Um, and that's how I think my father got his heart broken the first time Yeah, um, from knowing that. And um, from then, you know, he went to college. My father grew up very poor. Um, There's a total of six of them um, six, growing up. Six, five brothers so, and sisters. Yeah, yeah. So it's my dad, his one brother, and then four sisters. Wow. And then my grandmother, who I'm named after Martha, she had a third good education. Uh, my grandfather, same type of education. He um, did some small things around in the city to work. And um, she's like, you're going to school. My dad's nickname was Sonny. And my dad's sisters got more jobs than just the three that they had to help him go wow. to Morgan. And he went to Morgan in Baltimore, a black college. And it took him eight years to graduate because somebody at school was like, well, you can play in the Negro Leagues. He goes, what is that? That's not real baseball. They're like, yes, it is. And when my dad tried out, he tried out for the Baltimore Eli Giants. He made the team and he was like, I had no idea. This is the coolest thing ever because he was actually playing. Yeah. And was he always a pitcher or was he also a position player? At all? Um, I believe he was a shortstop at one point, but then he got um, trained into being a pitcher, yeah. so to speak. Which I guess was a good thing. I would say so. Yeah, seems, just seems a little like bit. It worked out well for him. Yeah. But, and, and you know, the, the, I do have a, not a great body of knowledge about the Negro Leagues in terms of, I know that there there were some Negro Leagues uh, teams that were quite successful and that there were, were people able to make something of a living doing that? I mean, was it able, was he able to support himself to some degree? Um, I, it, well, I don't know about the whole money aspect of it. I, I think they, the owners of the Negro League teams, I think, did make good money. Yeah. But I'm not sure what the players got paid sure. during that time at all. I mean, heck, I don't even know how much my dad made when he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but I know they all had jobs in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, they mean, didn't I know make that, that nobody much. made great money in Major League Baseball at yeah, all. That was I back mean, in the yeah. day when, you know, yeah, in the for, Major 50s, League Baseball, for Major League Baseball, yeah. you, would li you would have to win the World Series 
to make rent, basically. Like there was, there was, you'd get that playoff bonus, that World Series bonus. Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and yeah, it was there was a true incentive to win. You know, not like right. not not to, to, to disparage current day players. I'm sure even if you have 250 million dollars, <laughs> it's nice to to get have another a ring. 100 million. Yeah, because <laughs> you're so broke. Yeah. 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 No, we, we were we were looking at the uh, the very uh, beautifully ornate uh, uh, oh, on, on your hand the White Sox uh, World Series, which is actually comparatively I've seen I've gotten to wear actually several uh, World Series rings. I believe the 2003 Marlins ones. You know, if anybody gets a chance to ever see one of those, oh my goodness, it is massive and just jewel encrusted and like the size of my fist. I don't know why anybody would. 2003. 2003 Marlins. Oh, I, yes. 2003. Yes. <laughs> the Cubs were. The Cubs were five outs away. Yeah, that's true. And then two short years later, the White Sox. This is like Chicago White They did it. Yeah, how amazing would that? Oh, my God. I never thought about that. Think about this for a second. 2003, if, you're, if you guys could have just pulled through, it would have been Cubs, Red Sox, White Sox yeah. in back-to-back-to-back. So that was 1908, 1918, 1919. Yep. That would have been... Yeah. Uh, that would have been some history. What did you guys yeah. do? You guys just couldn't pull through. Couldn't pull through. Booted <laughs> so, ball, eighth inning. So... Yep. Since you were born, I know he's gonna. He, now mm-hmm. we've lost him for a little bit. So we can talk be. about Dusty Baker later. That's a family friend too. So yeah, okay, okay. So and, and Dusty, we trust you. The question that we ask people is, how did you come to baseball? How did you become a baseball fan? I feel like I know the answer to that question, but how did you become a fan of baseball? I remember since I'm from Arizona, from Paradise Valley, my dad and I would um, go to California a lot. We go to Dodger games. Peter O'Malley was still the chairman owner. So, of he, the so he he remained. He had some sort of relationship yes. to the team. Yeah. Yes, he definitely because um, you know there was um, Campy was still living. Yeah. Roy Campanella, um, Don Newcomb, yeah. um, Lou Johnson did not play with my father, but he was around and stuff like that. So um, we would go there when I was young, and I just remember Dodger dogs. Um, you know, I was like, oh, they're huge, dad. And he's like, okay, kid. You know, we would sit in the president's box because I said to um, Mr. O'Malley when I was talking to him about the book. And I was like, so what area were we always in? I just know we were just in like this, it was kind of like our club level it was like an outdoor, like a suite with um, the outside you could sit. And we were always standing and sitting outside with Mr. Campanella and Roxy, his wife and you. He goes, oh, that's the president's box. I was like, Okay. I didn't know. I just know I went through in the hallway and got the Dodger dog and then came back. Yes. Um, Because that was my priority as a child. Of course. And, um, (laughs) you know, that's the best part of it. And, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, that's all we did. And I loved that. It was just fun. But see, my father won custody of me when I was five years old. So we were going to spring training games because that's all Arizona had at the time when I was younger. Um, We went to Phoenix Suns games. There was a hockey team when I was young. There in Phoenix, it was so long ago. Trust me, I know I'm old now. <laughs> in a funny way, though. Um, and from that, I just loved sports and my love for baseball because I saw my dad's accolades in the house, but I was like, you don't look like that. And he was like, no, it's me. And my dad even autographed a picture to me saying, here's a picture of your dad with a body you had no idea I had. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, you know, my dad was six, two and a half, and when he played, he was 215, 220. I was born, my dad was 300 pounds, wow. yeah. you know, so I was just like, 
you don't look like Dusty Baker either. Yeah. He's tall. He has long legs. When I see him, because I saw Dusty when he was Dusty a player. Because Dusty was a Dodger then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Tommy Lasorda was the manager. You sure. know, so I saw all this, and I was just like, I would be on the field. They were holding me, and I'd be like, <laughs> okay. Like, I sell on-field batting practice here, and I'm like this. Okay. Yeah. You've done it. It's, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also, you got to see the greats. You got to see, I mean, that's... that's the that. real people that played for the love of the game. That is very true. I mean, do you think that... We, there are some players. There's a lot of players today, I think, that still play for the love. I think you do have a lot of guys that are in it that do see it as a business. You see a lot of guys, especially during contract time, that yes. are very much, uh, you know, going to the highest bidder. I won't drop any names, but there's some that have scorned uh, my team recently. And uh, that is frustrating because you look back at, at those teams of the 50s and 60s, kind of pre-Kurt Flood, pre-free agency, which, I mean, that was a good thing. Free agency was a wonderful thing, but right. it did take away a little bit of that kind of we're here because – this is just all we're good at in life, and this is what we're passionate about, and this is what we want to be the best at. Yeah, I mean, there's no, um, to make it simple, there's no loyalty anymore for the team that brought you up from their minor leagues and for you to stay and get them to win that championship. Because if you're that good and your team maybe around you, eh, they're okay. They're not all pulling together at the same time, and somebody else is like, I can give you another $50 million. Most players will go. Yeah, versus, you know, my dad got traded. He learned that um, from the radio. There were no agents. He just found out. He goes, oh, and Joe Black was traded to Cincinnati. My dad was like, hmm. And my dad didn't have a car. Somebody was taking him to Ebbets Field. And he got there. He goes, so I heard. They're like, yeah. (laughs) So we'll pack your stuff up. Um, They got you a ticket. My dad's like, okay. Because that's what you learned. There were no agents or anything. You know, on the flip side, and that's why Kurt Flood was so important. Because on the flip side... There wasn't very much loyalty on the Dodgers' side then, too. or Because he played for the Senators, I believe, as well. And mm-hmm. No, Reds and the Senators? Who was it? The yes. Red, the Red Legs. Red at, Legs. At, My dad got traded to the Red Legs and then from there went to the Washington Senators. And they were giving him another contract. But my dad said his um, arm was bothering him too much. And they were like, well, you can have surgery. My dad was very anti-surgery, anti-doctors. So he's like, yeah, that's okay. And he left, but he had a college education. Smart so man. he had something to fall back on. But in the same token, during those times, you know, when you're that baseball player and you're rookie of the year and you're like the relief pitcher that saved the team and you got there and Dressen made you pitch in three World Series games, which now they have to have five days off in between starting. <laughs> Very strange. Um, and, you know, hmm. But um, it's funny that, well, you know, it's true. But it's a lot of money. That's why. Yeah. I, you, we've invested we need, quite a lot of money in you. You sit down and you Right. You, know, you rest. Yeah. Um, and we will have yoga later and we will send you to the masseuse as well. But, um, you know, my dad was like, I have a college education and everybody when he played was like, when you're out of baseball, call me. I'll get you a job. And my dad's like, oh, okay. Well, he called them, and every no one had a job. They were like, God, Joe, sorry, we just filled it. And they knew, I think they kind of knew my dad had a college education, but they weren't 120% sure because well, they just saw him as a baseball player. player. Yeah. Um, and he was like, all right. And he dug his degree out and went back home to Plainfield and taught school at Hubbard where he went. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, it's one of those things that for then – and everything, prices are different. And we know now, I can't imagine my dad paying for me to go to college now because it sure. would be like two houses. But, you know, for then, even if it was $500, that was still a lot of money to go to a four-year college, hypothetically. And um, his family did it so he didn't have to work, so he could study. And he was the first in the family to get a college education. Um, and he just wanted to use it 
to do something, and nobody at that point, they just wanted the baseball player. And that only gives you, for the millionaires now, that gives you maybe one year of working at like a Miller or a Budweiser to be like, hi, I used to play for the Cubs. I used to play for the White Sox. Okay, once you meet all their great clients, yeah. what other use is there for you? That's interesting. Do you know, I mean, sure. th- there's nothing. You need something to fall back on. And my dad was very, very, very big proponent um, when he was a consultant for MLB to tell players, just take a class of something you like. It doesn't have to maybe be marketing, but whatever you like doing, take so they, a class. So he was trying, I didn't realize that that far back, MLB had people that were trying to educate the young kids. Because like you see in the NBA and the NFL and other sports where these guys, uh, I think ESPN it was, made this great uh, documentary, may have been a 30 for 30, called Broke, which was kind of talking about the specifically NBA and NFL players who within X amount of years of leaving the league just went bankrupt despite having 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 million dollars because they just had zero concept of money management or what they were going to do post you'd have career. to work pretty hard to spend that much money well you'd, so have, here's, to, you'd have to make well, it's a like ten thousand dollars at a strip club one night no i know but i mean it's, it's, you get married yeah you, you get stop divorced. playing she wants his money you know if you're a smart woman you have more than one child <laughs> so they have to pay you for all of them to go to school and for their kids to go to college as well you know so that takes sure. a lot of money you hopefully have a good agent that's are you not saying that taking- the women are marrying them intending to divorce them is that what you're saying to get, no, to get m- paid for think, it? I don't think intended to divorce them. I think that once, and it's horrible to say this, and I'm sure actors have the same issue, once the limelight is gone, it's not as fun anymore. Because now, yeah, keep in mind, you know, I think all athletes to a certain degree, everyone loves to think of all the boxers that retired and came back. Um, they like the clapping. They like the, yay, go get them. And once that is over, you're, you feel empty. Um, I can't imagine having this great life and you're like this hero of all things and you're done and everyone after a year and a half, they don't remember who you are. And that has to hurt anybody's ego, a man or a woman's. And I can imagine most women and husbands are like, this isn't working and you can't go to Barney's and shop $10,000 a day. And she's like, well, I don't understand. What do you mean? Why didn't we save any money? (laughs) You know, and because they don't unfortunately put money to pay them later in life. You know, I mean, they could put some, that's you get $10 million, why can't you put $3 million in an account, live off seven, that's still a good amount of money. And to have that 3 million grow for you to pay you later on in life, like we all should have 401k and everything else. I mean, there's things like that, that um, all athletes, not just baseball players, they need to know. Well, that's why, yeah, I've always wanted, I mean, it's not, the organization's responsibility is not MLB or NFL or NBA. It's not their responsibility to do this. But in my, you know, idealistic world and in the world that I like to live in in my brain, it's kind of like it would be good for you to take, you know, to take care of and to teach these guys that, hey, listen, when you're 35, 38, 40, when your career is over, when the rest of us are presumably entering into our peaks of our careers, like most average Americans, that's the your peak career earning years, like 35 to 50 or whatever. That's when these guys are retiring. It's like, yeah, those $10,000 checks or $100,000 checks you were getting every week stop coming. Mm-hmm. So if you spend it all now, it's... It, I, I watched that. I mean, I really do think you know, I'll try to put a link up on the clubhousepodcast.com and our show notes. It's, it's a great documentary that kind of explains because I said the same thing. How do you go through $50 million in 10 years? It's shockingly easier than one would think. Um, no. It's still difficult. It's still like, all right, you're making some really dumb decisions, but we're also all coming from this from perspective of I 
pretty sure nobody in this room was given $100 million no. when we were turned 18. No. No. Oh, no. 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 There's, a, there's a quote from Six Degrees of Separation about you know people with money hand to mouth on a higher plateau. Yeah, yeah I love that sometimes. movie. It's like, uh, you know who's in that movie? Will Smith? No, well, he is, yeah. I'm in that movie too. Just you are? Small part. Small <laughs> part yeah. Oh my gosh, I have to see it again. Yeah. I'm going to look for you. All right. I do. I love that movie because it's such a concept of Will Smith, <clears throat> excuse me, learning all of the new, like everything that the rich parents wanted <laughs> and, and to know that this is the right wine and to yep. say, well, my, what? I'm adopted and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's and based I on a true left. story, right? It's based on a real guy. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing and it, 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 it's horrible to say this, but people that aren't college educated are not dumb. No. They are smart. They oh, know how to do things, but a lot of people don't look at it that way. And I'm like, there's something common sense is not anything you can buy. No. I think you're talking to a couple of college dropouts right now. Yeah. So Hi, I'm a college dropout. I'm a college dropout. It's yeah. I'm not advocating it, listeners. I'm no, just saying. Right. Am I, but it but... is. But I'm not saying you should not go to college if you have that opportunity. Absolutely. But I think that there's so many smart people, and it's horrible to say this, and I'm not saying drugs are a good thing because they are not. But back when I was younger, because I guess I am in my 40s, so I'm admitting that out loud, that um, <laughs> I am drug. I, okay. I'm so, not. Young man, okay, <laughs> he's rubbing it in. But um, drug dealers are good business people. Oh yeah. Oh, from gotcha. back in the. Did you see the you wire? Know, you ever see the wire? I never watched it's that great. show, but I mean, it's yeah. something that they are smart enough to figure out things. I mean, from the show Empire and everything else. Yeah. Okay, let's look at Jay Z. He married Boo Boo Kitty. If anybody watches the show Empire, <laughs> but you know, he turned what was that into a amazing business. I mean, yes, he's a very good rapper and so on. And that opened the door for him because he used his talents that he had. But he also, he has that new um, music line. Or no. He's got all sorts. Well, he's of got things. the Beats headphones. He's got, he's got the alcohol stuff. He's got yeah. the, you know, I mean, it's like he's P. a mogul. Diddy. He's yeah. A, yeah, he's a mogul. And, but that's, I mean, I think that's one of those things that, that intelligence is such a broad thing. You know, you can be smart in so many different ways. And yeah, right. we do, especially in this country, we like to put a very high premium on not only education, but then another level of, well, what kind of education did you get? You know, yeah, do you have your master's? Do you have your exactly. doctorate? Do you have I mean, your... Or did you go to Harvard or did you go to a community college? I will admit openly on this air, I did uh, go uh, to a community college briefly in Manhattan. It explains everything. I know, doesn't it? Wait, mm. what? That's oh. your joke. Yep. You're funny. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. But uh, uh, see, see, if you hadn't gone to community college, you would have gotten that that was a joke. Wow. See, you see the yeah. Now this that is what I'm, I'm talking me. about. Now, this is what I'm talking about. The, my my time in the community college was actually unbelievable. I was around these kids that I so I spent time at community college and you know traditional four year colleges, and the kids that I met at the community college were so much more dedicated and so much, they wanted to be there. They weren't right. just there because that's what you do. A lot of people, you graduate high school, you go to college because that's what you do. But a lot of the community college kids, either they couldn't afford it or they maybe had some personal struggles or whatever it was that they couldn't right. do that. And they were fighting, said, I want to go to yes. school. This and is what I'm going to do. It was so inspiring to me. To be, I hated school for a long time. And that for that brief time that I spent at the Borough Manhattan Community College, those kids were inspiring me. But uh, we have gotten... So way off. Uh, yeah, sorry. Off the now we're in the matter. parenting, and we're in, I, no one's a parent, are they? No, no we're no. all. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> we're all single, looking for Mrs. Goodbar <laughs> and Mr. Goodbar for me. But this conversation about you know education made me. I, I've always 
I always have this sort of supposition that pitchers are usually pretty smart. You know, like Absolutely. craft the crafty thing that like quarterbacks, like, like thinking through things. I mean, the psychology of hitters and all that stuff. And did you? I know you said you didn't talk to your dad a lot about baseball matters, but did you ever pick his brain about what it was like to be a pitcher and and facing hitters? And no, I actually I didn't, but I can tell you that and. My boss, my big boss, Jerry Reinsdorf, would agree. My dad was extremely smart. He was so smart, and when he was in World War II, he was too smart to be put in combat. So they put him um, in the medical area yeah. because he, his IQ was too high. Yeah, That was like, ain't that about a... <laughs> I may look just like him, but I don't know if I got all that IQ thing with him. But um, And I, I think that, to my understanding, when I was younger, I remember they said, Blacks couldn't be quarterbacks because they're not smart enough. Yeah. And that is not true. And, and I think that's why. Oh, really? Um, it's not true? You think? Yeah, no. right. Well, but, you know, that was, Greek, what was that whole, in the 80s? You know, oh, my God. That was like in the 80s, Wait, I Jimmy think. Jimmy DeGree coming on yeah. TV and he saying that. He said that he literally well, said he, that? Well, he also said, I'll I, I put the exact quote on the website, but it's something along the lines of that they were, quote, unquote, bred to be athletes. Like oh, my it was, God. It was this very, very. Like our legs are stronger. Yes, that during the slave trade, muscles. basically, yeah. they bred them. It's like, oh, these are people. And I was like, and how do you know one of the um, presidents back in the day didn't go back over there? Because I think we're all mixed with something at this point. I think point. Jefferson may Many have uh, had a, yeah. a, a penchant for the non-whites, we'll just say. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of them. A lot of them decided to, to enjoy themselves. And Lincoln, you know, well, we all love Lincoln. That's why most blacks were Republicans back in the day. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I know we just got a total subject. So <laughs> no, sorry. no, no, it all, it's all, Honestly, it's all this, you know, it's. When we talk about you and your life, you know, it's I talk to people about this when when they like to talk about racism being, if not over. I mean, look, yes, it is race relations in this country are better now than they were 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago. Right. But when we have people like yourself who you have a direct connection, you grew up with a person who was horrible racial epithets were screamed at him. I'm sure that he was harassed, maybe beaten up, maybe you know, barred from going to certain places, whatever. That was yes. your father's life experience. Yes. And so to be that close, we're not that far, rem- we're not far removed at all. Like for you to be able to have those memories to me, I just, yes, you know, it's wonderful that President Obama is in office. We've got a black president. Yes, it's wonderful that, you know, a lot of things have changed, but. We're not as far as we should be. Not oh, even, no. it, not even close. Yeah, and I think um, regardless of race, I think as the old saying is, the village, which is the United States, doesn't take care of home anymore. Um, and I think that's where we're missing a lot of things. Um, I think from you can't have the Confederate flag and all this stuff. I mean, and, and there's so many derogatory negative things because children aren't born to be racist. They're taught that. Of course. Yeah. So, um, there's a I song mean, about that in a certain show. Children have to be carefully taught. Yeah, you know, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I think that that's unfortunate because there are still people, if I was blessed to have my father, granted, my father would be 91. He was 45 when I was born. So when I was born, that was old, you know, back yeah, then. My youngest sure. brother, 63. So he was born in 52, and he went through different life changes than I would because yeah. I grew up in Paradise Valley. <laughs> you know, it's like, what country club are you going to? So there was a different mindset. Yeah, but and, I've heard that Arizona is not exactly like, open arms toward no it wasn't we yeah. were the last state to have the dr king holiday yeah, yeah. um and i can tell you and yes and it was funny because my godfather's jesse owens 1936 olympian of that course, yeah. um embarrassed hitler which makes us all very proud yeah. um but he and my dad were good friends they what golf together 
all the time. And people would tell them they wanted to get in certain country clubs. And they're like, oh, now back in the day, like in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't computers. You wrote down Democrat, Republican, Independent, if they even had it, you know, because it was paper. And they would look and they said, oh. Joe Black and Jesse Owens are Democrats. Hmm. You know what? The country club's full right now. Mm. They changed that to Republican. <laughs> they got into everything they wanted. So, see, Arizona came back to how much money you have. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and why they look. I mean, I remember seeing my godfather on the American Express commercials. Yeah. Um, and my dad at certain times at restaurants, you know, when he was younger, you know, black people sat by the kitchen. Yeah. So there are times we all go to a restaurant and the only table maybe close to the kitchen and but there may be some in the front and i will never forget this and my grandmother my mom's mom was with us and we went to this restaurant in arizona and they're like oh we'll sit you here and we walked back and my dad's like um i'm not sitting back here i need would like to sit at that table and she was like well mr black and my dad did the american express commercial do you not know who i am <laughs> um and she was like pardon and he was like um i'm the senior vice president of greyhound corporation which was the biggest corporation in arizona at the yeah. time um, and, and she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And my dad gave her a business card and she goes, sir, I will be, I will send, seat you oh right over God. here. But all of the, the story is just so upsetting on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, just... it is because it's like you were still being judged. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't come up with having anything like that happen to me until I moved to Chicago. Hmm. Um, really? and I was 23. Was I moved here in 1993. Um, so it was probably, we finally got a Neiman Marcus in Arizona, in Paradise Valley, I think in 94, 95 or something like that. And so my dad went there. Now my dad did not dress in suits or anything. He had golf shirts on and a pair of pants. Just very boring. No Rolex, nothing, you know. (laughs) Um, and he went in and the people in the store started following him. And he, my dad was like, hmm. And he walked around because he was like, you know, sometimes we think, the way he raised me and being there so long, it's like maybe that's my imagination. And he was a white. He had like white hair. He was like yeah, you know, he was gray, tall. big, sick, bigger guy. You know, he's not running anywhere. I mean, come on. And oh, um, he walked around, and then he noticed the same people following. He and he turned around. He goes, "Hi." They're like, "Oh, hi. How are you?" And he goes, "Um, today's Tuesday, right?" They're like, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh, I only steal on Wednesday, so you don't have to worry about it." And they're like, no, 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 sir, no. We didn't mean that. He goes, no, I just wanted to let you know. And um, later on, when my dad went back the next day, the day he steals, he went in and spent $2,000 on suits for me. Yeah. Um, and from then on, they were like, hi, Mr. Black, how are of you? Course. Can we help you? Because he would ask the um, young ladies, the salespeople, you look like my daughter's size. Do you mind? It sounds weird. Would you try the suit on? Because I want to see if it would hit her right at the knees the right way and blah, blah, blah. And they would. And my dad would spend money. So my Money talks. Yeah, it, unfortunately, well, it's, the, it's does. the Chris Rock bit. The Chris Rock bit of basically, like in his neighborhood, you know, he has to be this the best of what he does in stand up comedy to afford to live in his neighborhood. But the guy living next to him, just some white dentist, just a, just a <laughs> it guy, it doesn't matter, just a dentist, just like he he's not the best dentist in the world. He's not. He just right. just some dude. Yeah. And but there is this this extra level of you have to prove yourself when you're not white in this country, whether you're Hispanic or black or whatever. Right. And it is that that you've got to. Take out that Amex and say, no, I, I will drop several thousand dollars. And was Kenny Williams the first black GM? Is that right? I'm not sure if Kenny was the first. No, I know no he was the first. Um, Maybe you're right. he was a player. Yeah, but for I the mean, White Sox, but, but I'm I mean, not like sure if he was a the GM, first GM. I feel he? like he might be. Yeah, if you're right, I will definitely research. throw that on clubhousepodcast.com. If that's true, be. that's super and sad. And he brought us a World Series. Because that's, that's, that's well, way too recent for him to be in the first There's still been so few 
um, managers of color of any kind of color. I mean, it's, yeah, it's we more, they're more Manuel. now than ever. Yeah. Sure. But, but well, and that's going to get worse just down the line, just because a lot of the managers are former players and, you know, the, the, we were all witness to the, the how few black players are, are you know, Playing. American born black players are actually right. in the league, which that's a whole, once again, other topic. But I wanted to to bring it back a little bit to your, your dad's time in the Dodgers. We're just going to take a brief break. I am incredibly excited to tell you about my 2016 baseball stadiums wall calendar brought to you by TF Publishing. The calendar is currently available for purchase at your local Meyer, Big Lots, Stop and Shop, and more. You can also order them online at Amazon.com, Calendars.com, Staple.com, and others. I'll include all of this information on my website, RoundingThird.net. But right now, we have a very, very exciting giveaway that I'm going to let Anthony tell you all about. This is our first giveaway. I'm excited. And it happens to be this calendar that Manish just mentioned which has beautiful panoramic shots of 12 of the best, most beautiful baseball stadiums of the 30 that exist. So this is your chance to get a free one. So here's what we'd like to do. We would like to receive from interested listeners trivia about the team that you love that we could then potentially use in our trivia games that we play with our guests. Here's the thing. If we use one of your questions in the trivia game, you will receive a free baseball calendar, baseball and, stadiums, wall calendar, 2016. And what's the added bonus? What will, what will the wall calendar include, Anthony? So here's the other thing. To incentivize it more, I'm going to sign, I'm going to personally sign with my, my hand, my own right hand, my name on the Wrigley Field month. And Munish is going to sign with his right hand his name on the Comerica Park month. So you will have a signed baseball stadium's wall calendar. So please send us your trivia questions on Twitter, which is at Clubhouse Pod. That's our Twitter handle. Or you can email them to us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse Podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with actor Mackenzie Aston. Mackenzie had so many stories that we had to break his episode up into two different parts. In this clip, Mac tells us a story about a prank pulled on Kirk Gibson of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the Tigers, uh, I guess, got into a little trouble with collusion and uh, were uh, disallowed from... Uh, retaining uh, Kirk Gibson in uh, 1987 and so he was a free agent for the 1988 season and uh, and he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers and on the first day of spring training uh, Jesse Orozco who had recently arrived from the Mets uh, thought it'd be funny to take some shoe polish and put it on the inside of uh, Kirk Gibson's cap uh, so that when uh, Kirk Gibson put his cap on the shoe polish would come off on his forehead and when he took his cap off the shoe polish would still be there and all the fans <laughs> in the stands would see that big black mark on his face and so it happened and Kirk Gibson uh, got real upset about it and stormed into the dugout and told the manager Tommy Lasorda that he wasn't going to put up with this kind of hijink stuff because his whole goal was to be there to win a dang championship and that people had better stop messing around like this or else uh, it's just not going to work. And that changed the tone of the whole season. And now, back to our conversation with the amazing Martha Joe Black. But I wanted to to bring it back a little bit to your, your dad's time in the Dodgers. When you were a kid, 
So let's see here. When did when did Jackie pass? Did you ever get a chance to? to... No, I did not. Um, well, not knowing that I met him because I believe I was born in '69. I think he passed away in '72 okay. or '73. So like it was young. I was young, so, so you're probably I probably around him, but but yeah, yeah you I don't wouldn't remember. know. Um, so, but did your dad tell you any stories about? Cause, I mean, he played with Jackie. He grew up with Jackie. It's... Oh no, Jackie was. Um, my dad did anything and everything to keep Jackie's um, legacy alive, because he. My dad was in New York on 9/11 with Rachel Robinson, um, and Pee Wee Reese's son and wife. I believe, and they were supposed to meet with Giuliani because they wanted to do the um, the statue with Reese putting his arm around Jackie um, somewhere in Manhattan, and then they thought a bus hit the a building, but we all know what happened, unfortunately, on 9-11. They were pretty close um, to the Trade Center, too, weren't yes. they? Yes. Yeah, they were in some big office, so the security took them down in the basement and stuff like that. Um, but all that being said, anything that somebody's like, would you do this to honor Jackie? My dad's like, yes, I'm, I will be there. Um, when Major League Baseball retired Jackie's number, um, for all teams in 1997, 50 years after he broke the color barrier, um, my dad actually worked for me here um, because every team um, did something. Sharon Robinson went around. My dad went around to a lot of teams with her making speeches and talking. My dad um, did an autograph session for me in the suites because at that point when I worked for the White Sox, I took care of the least suites. And people are like, oh, my God, that's your dad. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, I was just like, yeah, you know, I didn't have a picture of my dad and Jackie. My dad got it from Major League Baseball, which is by my desk right now. Jerry has one as well, obviously autographed by my dad. Yeah. Um, but anything that my dad was upset with a lot of, because back then there were a lot of black players playing. And there were a lot of black players that would say, oh, I don't know that much about Jackie Robinson. Oh. Um and the sad part is, even the Cuban players and everything else, if it wasn't for Jackie, you may not be here right oh, now. Yeah. That him um, and that Clemente, it's, it's those guys were absolutely, yeah, you need to Larry Doby, all of them. Larry Doby is a guy that gets absolutely no love. He came up because two weeks. Because he's the second. But he was and the first in the right, AL. Right, first but that's AL, why they do he, that. Yeah, I know. But that Larry Doby is a guy that we were just in Cleveland uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, at that progressive field, and they're finally putting up a Larry Doby statue outside the park. Exactly. It's like, how how is he not the first statue you put up outside exactly. your park? Like, he was – I remember being a kid, and and uh, when you learn about Jackie, you know, it's one of those, well, Jackie Robinson was the first black player, and in your little kid brain growing up in the 80s and the 90s, right. it's like, well, Jackie must have been the only black player for years because that's all you hear about. Right. So maybe, exactly. like, it took 10 years for another black player to come. But no. Two weeks, <laughs> like exactly, it, and and it wasn't any nicer for for Larry. Like it wasn't. It's it's he didn't have. It wasn't. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't get welcome a car the open heart. Say, yeah, they didn't say, "Hey, let's go. We love blacks now." Exactly. No. no, and there were a lot of teams. I mean, my dad got death threats in 1952 when he was in the World Series. That and was were five they, years were after. Were they letters written to him? Were they people mm -hmm. just shouting at him? No, no. Besides shouting, but no, there were letters. I mean, just like did he um, keep any of them, or, or did no, he? good, no, he didn't. Um, yeah, my dad would tell me that. And I. all that being said, I think everything ugly that my father went through made him overprotect me even more. Absolutely. And, and let and wanted and he understood like you were just commenting. It's all about that um, American Express and money. So my dad made sure that I wanted nothing. Yeah. He, my dad made sure that people weren't judging me because I was just black. He wanted he went. Um, Unfortunately, above and beyond, as Jerry says, he spoiled me. Um, <laughs> you turned out okay. Well, thanks. But, you know, he <laughs> wanted no one to treat me differently. Don't like me because you don't like me. 
don't judge me because I'm black. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's sad to say, but he felt to a certain degree, it's like if you can pay for your lunch, they can't judge you for thinking you're trying to get away with something. And, and that was the biggest thing. So um, my dad um, really emphasized that with me um, and also helping people. So he was just like, you know, if you have an extra, help somebody. I'm not saying when the people outside of Starbucks that are begging you for a dollar, you know what? I don't give them money, but I'll, if I have enough money, I'll buy you something to eat. I'm not yeah. going to give you money because mm. I don't know. I should be able to buy wine. You shouldn't be out there buying alcohol because you look pretty homeless. You need to pay rent. Well, I know one big thing that I like to do is that there's a lot of great organizations and shelters that you can donate money to, which do, you know, where your $1 that you give them, they can make that go a lot longer. They can help a lot of people. So right. I'm always a big proponent of going directly to some some great organizations that will just help as many people as possible. You know, it's 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 tough, though. I, I understand what, what you're saying. Because it's, it's guilty. They're just like, but I do some hungry. And you're like, really? Yeah. And like I said, every time I leave a restaurant and I do have extra food that I know I'm not going to eat, I'll box it up and I'll try give to it give to it to, right. I'll try to give it to somebody. You know, I, I'll it's just it's it's tough. But ultimately, in this country, you know, we got a lot of issues in this country. And, you know, yes. your father dealt, like you said, with race and with class. And it kind of makes me a little bit sad that the classism stuff existed so much back then as well. Cause More so. I mean, as much or it's all maybe this, as much. All, well, yeah. now I feel yeah. like it's a lot. I feel like a lot of the racial discussion we get into this country is a lot more about class and not about race. It's a lot of just veiled. We just don't like poor people in this country. And right. We, and we want to avoid, you know, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. If you don't have a lot of money, we'd prefer it if you didn't make a lot of noise and kind of just be quiet and stay over there. I mean, and I think that's why there's a lot of because, um, you know, Spike Lee is making the movie Chirac here um, that um, <laughs> I, Chirac. Yeah, because we shoot all the time. So Sh Chicago, Sh Iraq. Oh, Chirac. Yeah, Chirac, Chirac. like Iraq. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. Death, well, you know, he's such a, you know, clever man. But he is. <laughs> You know, he is. He's done a couple of great movies. Inside Man was great. Do the Right Thing was great. Love Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing was brilliant. Brilliant. But he's oh, also... Yeah. And that was in black colleges. I went to Spelman. I was in that area. There you go. So, yeah. No, but it... Um, I think that it's sad because, as you mentioned, it's definitely about... We want all of you that live in certain neighborhoods, because we look at that as being poor or not even middle class, but now the middle class are the new poor anyway. But um, we want you to be quiet. And I think a lot of people are angry, but I think that we, um, in this country, we're so worried about, do you have the new iPhone? People are getting hit <laughs> over the head on um, the train, CTA, to steal somebody's iPhone for money. And I'm like, it's not that serious. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you need money, get a job. I mean, and it seems like everybody's ego is in the way. Why can't you work at McDonald's? If you need something, get a job somehow, some way. There should not, nothing should be stopping you from working. And there's a lot of people that are just like, mm, I'm too good for that. Well, no, you're not. You don't have a job. Well, it sounds like your dad kind of instilled that in you. And your dad was someone who, I mean, he was told he couldn't play. He was told all these things that, mm -hmm. that he was not allowed to do yet. You know, whether it was just obstinate, stubbornness, or just, didn't care and was just no. Nah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try it. And I'm gonna do it anyways. Like he said, he went to the Negro League, seeing that oh, it's a real thing. It's not just right. some bunch of boys playing in the Sandlot or whatever. It's no, we're a bunch of men actually playing, playing getting uh, on buses, sleeping on buses sometimes. Do you have a sense of whether he was embraced by major by his teammates or was there? Because he came a up in '52, correct? So by yes, the time he came 52. up, it's it five years after Jackie. I think they. Um, he said they were all very nice to him um, on the Dodgers, but I think. 
that Sometimes came in back other to the cities or it was weird um, too. Yeah, in other cities they did have some problems. Um and you know, obviously fans did scream out derogatory statements a yeah, lot. Yeah. The N-word used a lot. And were the, mom and stuff, in those so. cases, were the organizations ever trying to quell that or account for it? or That I'm not sure of. I know that, um, the little bit that I know about this, that they were always together, though. So it was one of those things if it was my dad, Campy, Newcomb was in the war in 52. Um so he wasn't around. So that's what they said. But they thought my dad was a new Newcomb at the time. Um, and Jackie, that like you could walk in the front of the hotel, but they knew they were going to stay at another hotel. Right. Um, so even though they, they had were to stay the Brooklyn, hotel, yeah, because it was no it was the segregation. They were, they were like it was still, in all cities. No, no, just no, in the just southern in the cities. South, but the yeah. South. yeah, okay. So there were still some areas that they were like the teams were like, yeah. okay, we're going to take you to this hotel. Well, you couldn't yeah. eat at the same restaurant. You couldn't eat at the same exactly. There's a lot of places. No, I mean, there's a there's a famous story. You know, Hattie McDaniel, um, who won the Oscar for Gone with the Wind, they had to the 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 movie studio had to fight to let her be at the ceremony where they where it took place and she actually wound up having to sit you know in a corner away from everybody else who was associated with gone with the wind and she won the oscar that night you know and there's yeah it's it's well my godfather jesse owens they had the parade when he came back right he couldn't go in the front door at the hotel. He had to go through the back. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, I mean, it's, do you know what I mean? You just a, clowned Hitler. We're all proud of you. You have four gold medals, but you still, we don't respect you enough, so you go through the back. Yeah. I mean, and I think because of that, that's why he and my dad had such a close bond and friendship but, because of knowing that. I, I mean, you, you were saying uh, before we sat down um, when we were first meeting and chatting, I think it was you, that, uh, you know, you're talking about that your dad was... Like, you didn't experience a bitterness from him about all no. that? No, and, he, and can you account for that? I, I think, and I didn't have the pleasure of meeting my grandmother, Martha, but I think he got that from her. Anybody who had a third grade education, my grandmother was a maid. Um, she um, cleaned the wealthy people's homes in New Jersey, and they she couldn't read a lot. So when they would see that her six kids were on the honor roll, they'd be like, oh, Martha, here, this is for your kids. And she'd be like, OK, thank you. And she'd have to take it home for um, my dad and his siblings to read what it said. Um, and I think from that, he was like, if you're not angry and you clean for them and, you know, why should I have that? And, you know, because my dad realized he was blessed to be able to live his dream. He was blessed to have family that supported him, that helped him pay through college. So what's there to be angry about? You know, I, I can't be <laughs> angry. So you know, I mean, it's like, how can I, my father, with, I, mean, I, I was born, he was 45 years old. So he was blessed. It's unfortunate the Freedom Riders were on a Greyhound bus. That's how my dad got the job with Greyhound. So I grew up with the senior VP of the corporation. But, and that was a derogatory negative thing. But my dad was also friends with Dr. King. He was like... Certain things, yes, it may not affect you personally, but it's all a whole. We're all a family. This is a village, and that's how they had that mindset. My dad was an usher at Dr. King's funeral. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the stuff that Dr. You know, it's compassion for the 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 pain that somebody who's racist, you know, that their life, the, the whatever, They're empty. you know, yeah, the emptiness, the anger that that drives that to have it's not personal i guess exactly you know? i mean and that's well, you what you're taught it's what you said no one's born i've always you know and i get a lot of crap for, about this from from people in my life because i've 
not anywhere near on the level that your father or your godfather or anybody there experienced. But I've experienced, especially post 9-11 being what I right. like to call ambiguously brown. Right. I've gotten, uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten a, a lot of, uh, you know, I've, I've been beaten up. I've been, you know, called oh, wow. uh, um, sand N-word, we'll just say. Right. Uh, uh, which is the wrong uh, one to use there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not been great for me. And when I see someone who is that openly and outwardly racist towards me, I, I don't empathize with them, but I do understand a little bit, you know, and I try to, I tell people, I give folks a pass who are under the age of 18 and over the age of like 65, 70. Right. And, and when I say pass, I don't mean like I welcome them. I just, I, I'm not, I don't get as angry because over 65, 70, you lived a life that I will never understand. You lived a life with segregation. You lived a life, like I said, we are not very far removed from your father having to deal with these things. Right. And so I can't imagine what it was like, white or black, to be raised in that type of society. And then under the age of 18, chances are you are, if you are that way, you were raised by someone who was filled with that much hate and exactly. ignorance, et cetera. Now, after you turn 18, 20, 21, 22, 23, I would hope at that point you would have been able to start coming up with your own ideas. And at that point, you haven't changed your views. That's when I start getting a little bit annoyed with you. Like, all right, brother, like you've seen the world now. Stop with this ignorance. Exactly. But at a certain point, you know, I understand it. it is just it's your life experience. And I try to understand it. I try to see it from their perspective. Just don't beat people up. Just don't don't, you know. Yeah, you don't need to hurt people. You don't need to shoot people. I mean, you know, we understand there was robberies and everything back in the day. Um, but you don't have to hurt and you don't have to be ignorant because you can't judge somebody. You can't judge somebody because X, Y, and Z is not Bruce Jenner. Now he's Catelyn. You know, it, that's not that has nothing to do with me. Exactly. That is his decision in his life. So how can I judge him? For well, that? I mean, you and I have talked about before um, when we talk to someone on the phone and, <laughs> and how, how. Yeah. Yeah. When people meet when I talk to someone on the phone and they meet me in person, they are shocked at what I look like. I mean, if they don't know my name or if they just heard my voice. They, me as well. Yeah. People assume uh, the amount of people that think that I'm white just from the sound of my voice. And then they see me and there's kind of a, oh, OK, never mind. You're me not. too. Yeah. Every we, we day. Were <laughs> Even one of our switchboard operators, I love her and she's sweet as pie and she's African-American. And I called and I said something funny, like corny funny. And she got off the phone. And she goes, oh, my God. She said later on in the office, she goes, I was telling everybody this racist person called because I said something corny. Like, you know, that isn't there some Martha Black? Can't you transfer me? Her last name is Black or something like that. Yeah. And she looked at me. She goes, I thought you were white. And I was like, I know. Welcome to Paradise Valley, Arizona. Because, <laughs> you know, all of my most of my clients with my voice, my dialect um, is just where I'm from. Yeah. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with being white, black yep. or whatever. But it's how I was raised. It's a city I'm from. Yep. If I was from New York, I'd have a different type of voice. Um, you know, my boss, to a certain degree, he's Caucasian. He's from New York. There's he doesn't have it as heavy. His New York accent, but sometimes he says certain things. You're like, mm-hmm, New York. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf called my dad's house when I was in college, and my dad's like, who is it? And I was like, oh, no, some black guy. It wasn't. <laughs> That's funny. Because his New York accent yeah. was, you know, I didn't hear that. It, it was, Arizona's very bland. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a good Midwestern boy, so yeah, no, I just, that's that's the way it is. But, um, excuse me, so I, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, your father's post-playing career and kind of just um, 
any ball players that he may have, like who are the ball players that he was closest with? Who are the ball players that maybe came around the house when you were a kid or that he would go spend time with? Or were there any that he really kept in close touch with? Or when he retired, was it, I'm now doing Greyhound, this is now my career, this is now my focus? Did he separate baseball from his he, life? Um, I wouldn't say, because he, he loved the game. So he didn't really separate. So he would do um, the Greyhound stuff, and that was his biggest thing, different um, developing programs to help the African-American community because Greyhound's point was they did not believe in segregation. Um, it was sad the Freedom Riders were on a Greyhound bus that got burned by the Ku Klux Klan. But um, that was just one of those. It was that timing. Um, and they were surprised because my dad was a school teacher and had his students at Yankee Stadium. And the executives from um, Gray Lines that ran the buses in New York were there. And they were like, aren't you Don Black? My dad's like, well, he played in the 30s and he's white. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 Joe Black. And he's like, yes, I am Joe Black. And they were like, so what are you doing? And who are all these kids? Because now keep in mind, they're all Caucasian yeah. and some Jewish. And they were like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm a teacher. And they're like, you're, you're a teacher. He's like, yeah. They're like, really? They're like, yeah. Huh. Here's my card. Now, at this point, my dad think you're full of crap, too, like everybody else yeah. when you played, saying, yeah. call me, I'll have a job for you. Um, and my dad called, and they were like, we'd like you to come up because we'd like to see you. Because now this is after the Freedom Riders were on the Greyhound bus. They were like, if we can get somebody who played baseball, who's black, that people knew, white, black, and everybody were a big hero, maybe this would help the company. Absolutely. And so Gray Lines, um, excuse me, hired... My dad, um, part-time, because my dad was not going to quit. Because at this point, you're like, you're all full of it. You don't know. And um, so he would go there on weekends. And when there was one director there, he's like, oh, well, here's a perfect desk for you. Um, My dad's like, oh, okay. And, of course, let's pretend. I know we're in a conference room, but if that um, was glass right there, it was all glass. And that would be, like, let's pretend Fifth Avenue in New York, but it wasn't Fifth Avenue. But it would be a busy street. And this was my dad's desk. Wow. And when the um, like president, yeah. yeah, and like, and it was just the open desk that was there because there were probably other desks in sure, different sure. areas, but this was, was right in front of the window. So they, they, they can see, you see yes, this. they have somebody display. black that has yeah. his name tag, nameplate right here, so they could see. And when um, I think it was Mr. Schaefer, that was one of the bigwigs. It was Mr. Schaefer and Mr. Trotman at Greyhound, but um, he walked in, and Mr. Schaefer's like. What's he doing here? He's like, oh, well, this is the only um, desk we could find. He was like, "Mm. (laughs) you need to move him to the 10th floor and that office in the corner because I know that's empty. And that's how my dad got his first office. That's amazing. And so I remember Mr. Schaefer and Mr. Trotman at Greyhound because, you know, not that I was doing anything because I wasn't. I was a kid. Um, Like when they would have to go on different business trips. And if we weren't fortunate enough, yes, because my dad made enough money for this, um, to have a housekeeper, I would go on those trips with my dad. And my dad would get my schoolwork from school. And so we'd get on the private plane. Yes, they had private jets back then. I was like, holy crap. And in the <laughs> middle of it, I will never forget the Greyhound one. It looked just like this mahogany um, table that we're at. But it was like a, in the middle area. And they had the big, remember those big phones oh, when yeah, you were young? Of course. It was right there in the middle. And I was like, wow, this is better than TV. You know, I just sat there and was quiet and playing with Barbie, you know, type of a thing. <laughs> but um, that was just something that Greyhound embraced him. And because of that... I think my dad, sometimes it would be nice. My dad knew some people that still played. He knew Sandy Koufax. You know, he was still playing and stuff like that. So 
if they were like, yeah, we're going to be in New York for something. My dad's like, oh, well, I can call some people. So he would get some people to do some like be at certain lunches and stuff like that um, with him, which was, I think, kind of nice. And I could say for me being younger, the, my dad's friends were like the Griffies, senior and junior. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I've mentioned about Newcomb and camping and, is that and just stuff. From meeting them from going to like Veterans Day events or like MLB, no, I don't know, you know how my dad and. Would he reach Griffey out to senior. them? Would he reach out to these players and say, you well, know, I would assume it's a brotherhood. Or... I would assume it's just yeah. like, you yeah, know, there's so like, few well, people that you kind of, yeah. Yeah, and keep in mind, them. my dad played for Cincinnati. Mm. So because of that connection with, um, you know, Griffey Sr. first before sure. um, and stuff like that, <clears throat> excuse me, that that was that friendship. Um, I also know that, you know, my dad was one of the players that started the baseball assistance team. Yeah. So with that, so Junior was a player, so my dad would talk to him and be like, okay, look, you make a lot of money. We need some money because there were a lot of players. Daryl Strawberry needed help, Yeah. you know, um, for certain yeah. things that were sure. going on in his life. Sure. And um, my Your father helped with that? Uh-huh. My dad helped start it. Good, good, you know, good because for him. it's giving back. I mean, from Joe Graziola Senior and stuff like that. They're like, there's so many people. Graziola Senior um, at one point was like, I know you are my friend, but you really should be a preacher because my dad would sit there and hold a <laughs> widow's hand that was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. My dad would come like, there's times that we all need comfort, and my dad was very good at that. He was able to sit there and be like, What do you need? My dad played paid for my boyfriend in college his second year at Morehouse because they messed up his financial aid because education was that important. Yeah. You know, I mean, and he was like, and you look out for my girl. My daughter seems to be in love. So, you know, (laughs) blah, 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 you know, and my, and I'm still (laughs) friends with that young man to this day. Oh, he's not so young anymore. Well, yeah, I know. Well, also he better still be friends with you. Like that's, that's better. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I mean, from, I mean, it was just one of those things. So, I mean, it was, it was nice. My dad um, never let baseball go, though. And then when he retired from Greyhound in 1987, when I graduated high school, um, he I started being... I graduated in 88. Yeah. Okay, you're, you're younger. That's okay. I was born in 1983. And I'm throwing my phone at you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that was a... Duh, that was a stab. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, but, uh, wow. I can't even think now. My head's a blur. It was like 1983. Yeah. The White Sox, I think, did something great in 83. Uh, yeah, that was mm. the Tony La Russa year. That was, uh, he won the AL Manager of the Year that year. That was the winning ugly. Uh, See, look, I was born in 83, but I got some, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an old baseball soul. <laughs> he reads a lot. I know, okay. Right? I know, right? <laughs> All right, fine. Was, okay, sorry. W- did you ever talk, like, the stuff around Hank Aaron? Were you aware of that? Were you... You were old enough to be, I mean, you said you, were you paying attention at that time? You know? Yeah. I mean, no. were you really following baseball at all when you were a kid? No. Yeah. I was so worried about Barbie. You get to a certain age, you're like, oh, he's cute. So no, I was not worried about well, baseball. When did you start actually learning about the game itself? Not just about your father, about the players, about I that, would but say, about the honestly, game. Honestly, for me to pay attention 1992, when I started with the Arizona Fall League. Really? Mm-hmm. That's when I started to understand Major League Baseball. Um, that was in the very beginning of the Fall League, um, that they wanted the umpires to speed up the game, which now we know games <laughs> take seven hours. But um, we, we just went to two games at City Field. One, one game was two hours, 20 minutes. One game was two hours, 40 minutes. Who yeah. pitched? Um, hey, that Jake, was... Ar- Jake Arrieta for the Cubs and uh, John Lester for the Cubs and those – 
Degrom and Hendricks. It was they were they were guys that know yeah. how to. Yeah. They were like the Mark Burleys and Chris Sales. So yeah, like, yeah. You know, they, the they get the ball and they throw. To, and oh, they, Chris they do that. Oh, sorry, that's a little bit. But oh, I mean, as a Tigers, he fan, has a boo. very good number. Oh, he's forty nine. Yeah. He is 49. It is a good number, but yeah. oh, God, I want him out of the division so badly. Sorry. That's just He's my, not going anywhere. I know no. he's not. And he shouldn't. No. He's, he's fantastic for this team. He's unbelievable. Oh, but um, all that being said, with the Fall League, at that point, they were telling the umpires, please don't have the batters get out of the box all the time because that slows up the game. So that was 92. I started here in 93. It was they, they were everybody, the games were a lot quicker in 1993. 1994 was strike year. Everything yeah. went out the window. Because now no one's worried about it because now you're trying to be, okay, <laughs> we want to, we're all back. We have to, you know, do this and, and everything. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of games. Yeah, Mark Burley pitched extremely quick. Um, oh, like yeah. I was saying, Chris Sale. You know, there are a lot of um, pitchers. And, you know, you can shake off. Like my dad would say, you can say no, 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 mm-hmm. or whatever. But I also think that, and I can only say this from watching them as an adult, older men, my dad and Campy had that connection. Oh, yeah. I you love know, the pitcher-catcher relationship. Yeah, so that's a connection that you have to have. I can tell you A.J. Przinsky, um, <laughs> you know, was, I think, the catcher when it was the perfect game as yep. well as the no-hitter. You know, so there is a connection that I think certain catchers and pitchers have that helps speed up the game. And there are a lot of teams that are like, okay, we got to get this guy that's on our bench a shot, too. So I that's guess the Red Sox and Yankees have no connections between their pitchers <laughs> and catchers. Because yeah, because those take... games last seven so hours. Long, yeah. Oh, God. Yankees-Red Sox games are so the worst. That's that's what, honestly. If you just slap them playing with each other every single year, the league average of game time would go down fifteen like fifteen minutes. It is every really? game they play. Every I mean that's that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but every right. time they play, they are three twenty, three forty, three fifty. I don't know what it is about them. Both teams just are slow. To and that's play. without the rain delays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's just a normal nine inning game with no reason for it to be that long. I mean, I had a, a, a girlfriend of mine earlier this year. She went to a Yankees Red Sox game. Now, granted, it did go extra innings, but it was something like seven and a half hours. You know, of yeah. of words like that. I would have stayed if I were. Oh, she stayed to the bitter yeah. end. If I were there, I would watch she was the texting whole me. Game. No, she but was. I'm te- just a base. I like. I love baseball. This okay. was in May. And she was texting me little you know, pictures uh, at the end, like, I'm still here. I'm not leaving and, and showing me the entire thing. It was cold. Right. She was like, I can't move my feet, but I ain't leaving. Right. You never leave a baseball game early. You never know what can happen at a ballpark. So have you that come to – I mean, you work here, obviously. Right. Do you do you see – do you watch games? When I have clients, no, not really because I'm walking, running around with them yeah. and taking care of stuff. I can tell you I watch games when the team's on the road. Because I watch it at home on TV. You do, yeah. That's the easiest way for oh, me yeah, to you're sit there and watch. And, yeah. yeah um, so when you work for a team, um, you're working. Yeah. You know, so it's hard. It's not like you're going to be like, okay, you want to sit for a seat? You know, because at this point, if you're my client, I'm like, so do you need a beer? Do you need, you know, because I'm trying to make you happy. Of course. So I need to go get that. I'm not paying attention. And yeah. there are times I'm in like, so what happened? You know, and they'll be like, oh, so-and-so just hit a home run or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. So. And and this might be, I don't know if this will sound the way I intended it. Um, you know, you, you work for this organization, mm-hmm. so you have a vested interest in the success of this organization. Yes. Have you also become a, a fan of the organization? of the organization, of the team, of the, team. Of, of the idea? You know, the, when we think of like identifying with a team, being a fan of a franchise, do yes. you have... Has that happened for you as well? Yes, I'm, yeah. um, and I'm kind of. I will admit, I'm kind of weird on this. Yes, I'm a fan of the White Sox, but that fan, 
that love is because of the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh-huh. So Why my is that love and res- that makes sense. Okay, because my love and respect for him, I think, is so high. Um, and that's on a personal level, not sure. because I work for him. I, I can tell you that since he and my dad were friends, and my dad's now in heaven probably looking at me going, that's my kid. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. Um, that I respected and loved my dad so much. I only worked hard for my father. I never, and it's horrible to say this, I never worked hard for me. I'm not working hard for this book for me. I'm working hard because I don't want my father's memory and legacy to ever go away. I work hard and try to come up with stuff because I want to make Jerry Reinsdorf happy. Yeah. Not anybody else. I know the other vice president's like, what about me? I'm like, yeah, you're funny. But he, <laughs> he is the biggest thing. My loyalty and love is for Jerry and Jerry only. And Do you have any cool stories about, about, you know, whether it's growing up out, you know, around Jerry or, or in your adulthood or just, you know, kind of that, that quintessential you and Jerry story? I could tell you that um, a personal, very personal thing that when I was, I worked here again because I came back in 04. I left from 2000 until 2004. Um, and I had the TMI, doctor's appointment in 2007. And Jerry's like, you know, because um, he knew how my dad was with me. Jerry's like, you know, I'm going to leave a meeting early. I'll meet you there. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> and he left a meeting to come meet me at the doctor's office. And I was just like, I can't believe it. I mean, Jerry came to both my dad's memorials, the one in Arizona and one in New Jersey. He spoke at the one in New Jersey. Um, and because I could say um, I was so extremely close to my father. Yes, I love my mother. They got divorced when I was five. But Jerry knew that love and friendship that I had with my father. So Jerry tries to help me in that sense of being there for me. Yeah. Um, I could tell you, cause I see Jerry almost every day cause this is his love, the baseball <laughs> team, um, that he is somebody like joke around with in the hallway. I can say things to, um, I mean, I'm the one who went to him, gosh, in 06, I believe, um, or 07 to tell him I had a dream. I want to write a book about my father. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he was like, really? About baseball? And I was like, no, because my dad was a good dad. He goes, oh, you're 120% behind you. You should totally do that. Yeah. Um, so my love and loyalty for the game is all about um, him with this organization. So that's why I try to think of things that um, – because I know he was the mindset that came up with the fan experiences. So he wanted to get people a lot closer um, to baseball. Like when my dad played, he was your neighbor. He, sure. There were no agents, so he sure. could play with you. If you were married with kids, he'd play with your kids in the middle of the street. Yeah. That was what you did. Yeah. Um, and Jerry came up with this to try to get people closer because technically if you're at a restaurant and you see your favorite player, you shouldn't go, excuse me, can you sign this for me? You know, type of a thing. But when I have you here at the ballpark, that's their job. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that opens that door for people to be able to ask for an autograph. I can't sure. promise autographs, but I knock on wood, I won't do it loud, um, that it does help. Yeah. Um, just to make them closer. And I want to just give a, a, a brief plug here for, for the book that, that Martha Joe just uh, was referencing. It, it's called Joe Black, uh, More Than a Dodger. And it's, it's I love Love, love that title more than a Dodger. Jerry Reinsdorf came up with it. Well, he's a oh, smart man. Cool. Yeah. It is. He's very smart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just in thumbing through it real quick, and we'll, we'll make sure we put links to this on, on uh, clubhousepodcast.com. I, I cannot recommend highly enough to go out and, and buy this book, but just looking at some of the pictures in here, this picture of a young Joe Black. In his Sunday best. In his Sunday <laughs> 
funny. <laughs> he is wearing high top sneakers, and uh, I mean, are those overalls or are they? Is it, it's like no, a, it's a, a ripped up shorts and shirt. I mean, my grandma had to sew stuff to make because yeah. those I just were love leftovers. the intense look on his. He is. He is just angry. Oh, he's just ready. Like, he's ready to get, grab that about? ball and get <laughs> on the mound. And, and his mom, uh, uh, Martha. So mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming that that you were named, yeah, yes. after after uh, your your beautiful mom. It looked like she's got. Uh, is that, a, is that a, her church hat on? Because if it is, that's I believe fantastic. that they there was a bigger picture of all of them, and I think it was somebody's wedding. Okay. Because I have um, my grandfather. I have a picture of him individually because my grand my dad had them separated so he can have two separate pictures of them. Um, like he's like in a shirt and tie tux type of thing. So that was not a normal outfit thing. Sure. But uh, yeah, so so I really really I mean, what was that experience like for you? Now you know, digging deep into your personal relationship with your father and and just putting it on paper you know sitting here in front of mics is one thing but but you know anthony has written in a brilliant memoir uh, called without you uh, i'm currently writing my own and it is the hardest thing i've ever done in my entire life it's 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 so it's uh, definitely hard yeah so what was that experience like for um you? well chuck schaffner and i worked together <clears throat> excuse me for like the seven years um he's in iowa and he is a baseball writer and because um, when I, Jerry is like, okay, well, you need to co-write it because you work here. I was like, yeah, I know. Because it's not like he was going to say, stay home for two years, yeah. you know, and I'll pay you and you're writing a book. So um, Chuck and I worked together. And it was nice because if we, as you know, if you both are writers, your voice sounds one way in writing and yours is another. Yeah. So to make it all seem similar, Chuck's like, I'll, how about this? He interviewed me all the time. Yeah, yeah. So we talked every day, emailed every day. Um, I went to Iowa. He came to Chicago. So we did it that way to make it all fluent. Um, I would say for myself personally, because my dad and I were so close and I was definitely um, really messed up in the head. And I'm very honest about things that my mother died in March of 2002. My dad died in May. Yeah. Um, And from that and then my best friend of 27 years died the next year in 2003 in October from breast cancer. So everybody died from cancer. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, cancer, mom, my mom passed from cancer, too. Yeah. yeah, cancer's the enemy. So I'm on the H Foundation, which raises money for Fund a Cure for Cancer mm. for that. But with um, all of that, with my dad, it, it just it was the hardest thing writing this book because I had to relive that last chapter. The final inning is about New York on 9-11 and my dad dying. And when you relive all of it, in the beginning, it makes you angry all over again. Yeah. But I will say it is a healing process yeah. because you actually get to say it. You get to cry. You get to do the whole thing. Um, I could tell you after my dad died, I worked at the law firm Winston and & Strawn, and um, I was like, I don't know what all this is. Um, I went to Jerry. I was like, okay, here. Here's the will. Here's the stuff. <laughs> and Jerry, because he's an attorney as well and a CPA, Jerry's like, all right. He, and Jerry would read stuff. He goes, did you know? you were in charge of your dad with signing this? And I was like, no, he just told me to sign it, so I signed it. You know, because it wasn't something, if my dad put a piece of paper in front of myself and my brother to sign something, I was like, all right, here. I'm not reading it. (laughs) I was like, I don't need to read it. You're not, because I knew he wasn't going to hurt me. He's not doing anything to do anything bad. Yeah. So Jerry's like, yeah, you could control everything. You could have taken his money. And I was like, oh. I didn't know, you know, but I, I didn't want for anything. So um, with that being said, that was the hardest part of the book. Um, Chuck Schaffner is an amazing, amazing person. Um, but it's hard when you relive something and somebody doesn't hear you all the way oh, and you have yeah. to repeat it. Yep. So then I got straight 
excuse my language, bitchy, and mean in certain ca- yeah. cases yeah. because I was just like, it's do raw. you not understand this? Am I not speaking English? You know, and yeah. and that had nothing to do with him, but that was the frustration of reliving the whole thing. Um, so, I mean, and it was hard because even when the publisher has an editor and I had to find one of my dad's, because I didn't meet all my dad's siblings. Um, I met his brother once. I knew Mont Phil very well because she was the last person to pass away in the family out of the generation. So she just passed away last April 15th. Very ironic on Jackie Robinson Day how we bring everything back in a big circle. (laughs) But um, that I had to look in the program to find out all my dad's siblings' names because I had to relive it even during the editing process. And I was just like, you you have to be flipping kidding me. I said flipping. You know, I mean, you know, so it's definitely, it's a hard process, but... I will say it is a healing process when you get done with it. And I would tell anybody, whatever dream you have, do it. Um, And it's hard like to sit down and just sit there and write. That doesn't really work that way. Write something and then you go and write something else and just think of different stories to put in the um, book that you're doing. Pretty much that's what it is. That's what everybody keeps telling. I keep on sitting down and trying to write the whole thing as if it's this final product. Mm -mm. And everyone keeps giving me the exact same advice. Just write, just write some stories, write the scenes, just Get it out there and figure it out later. Yep. And, right. And yeah, I'm in the. I'm, I'm rewriting the book now for the fourth time. <laughs> this is my fourth time through rewriting the book, and it is. It's a. And I finally feel like I figured it out. <laughs> like the fourth time through, I'm like, oh, I get it now. Okay, it took me writing about four hundred thousand words before, but now we're back and we're doing it. But we're gonna have to wrap up here pretty soon. We've gone a little bit longer than than we normally do, just because. Sorry. No, you don't apologize. I. As I told you, though, you know, when we met back in, in New York at, at Bergino, it's actually so uh, Martha and I met at the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse where we normally record these wonderfully uh, awesome podcasts. And uh, yeah, not normally not looking at this huge mural photograph. I know. I've been staring at a 2005 World, World Series champion, champion this entire time. And well, look, with my there's Tigers. There's Bobby hat. Jenks and there's Freddie Garcia. And there's, there's Jermaine Dye. Let's talk about Dye. And, <laughs> there's the and Juan AJ. Uribe, who's still playing baseball. And, Paul and AJ Canerco, still who playing, just, which yeah. with Jimmy, with the podcast we had with Jimmy Pardo, so, uh, mm-hmm. I, I admitted that, look, I have to hate AJ because... Everyone know, did. When he's not on your team, you that's have to exactly hate him. When he it. was with Minnesota, we hated him. That's exa- AJ is, I hate him so much that I've gone around the bend and love him now. We're just <laughs> like, it's you are so good at being evil and being bad that, yeah. And I smart. Insane. Think, I mean, think smart. about it. When we were playing the Angels. The drop third strike. And he was like, you didn't tag me. Mm-hmm. And he went to first and they were like, what? And, you know... The Angels manager is like, oh, that was just a bad call. But in the same token, if you've noticed now, since then, every catcher is tagging everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. They don't. They touch them immediately. Because it, they it's them one immediately. of those things that, you know, people, they case. didn't. They didn't do that then. Yeah. I'm sure Asia didn't tag everybody all the time. But, yeah. you know, he, we got away with it. But Asia's like, you didn't do it this time. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's one of those things that he was smart enough. I, I will tell you for the 05 season, everything worked out perfectly for us. Oh, I yeah. can also tell you, I think... Most of the relief pitchers that we came against, they were the number 49. And I also put my dad's ashes on our pitching mound. All right. Oh, my goodness. Because um, I, you know, I have my, and I was like, you know Oh, what? I just got to chill right down my spine. So, oh, I mean, it was one of those things amazing. that I was like, I, I can't, I, I'm holding on to these. And I'm, I was like, I'm going to put my dad where I know he loved. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he played in the East-West World Series for the Negro Leagues at the old Comiskey Park, which I never got to see. But I work here, and I was like, well, I'm putting it here um, because I so need Joe Black, to. So Joe Black lives in U.S. Cellular. Mm-hmm. My dad is always close to me. Wow. 
equals why I'm single too. But that's, that's a whole other story out with Oprah. You know, that's <laughs> it. There's no way we can even top that. That's it. That's that's that's. I think you know. Unless Anthony, is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, I this is feels so much more mundane. No, no, it's okay. I'm just curious. You know, what, the the Cubs obviously have the rivalry with the Cardinals. Is mm-hmm. there a comparable of the teams in the division? Is there the one team that the White Sox like? have always bumped up against over the years and have that kind of intense long history rivalry with it would it be the tigers i would say that would be the closest to the tigers just because so many tigers because we're so close yes and also because we've shared some players oh, uh, thank you for mag the ordonia yes, by the way ordonia, yeah, fantastic. And stuff like that. Um, um, but uh, we don't have what you guys have you guys no, have that's something... a pure hate it's kind of like the white Sox cubs don't like each other but I, th- I have never You're different, felt that Anthony. way. You keep I've on, you keep on that bringing way. that up. You are not representative of the masses when it comes to both the Cubs-Cardinals relationship and the Cubs-White Sox relationship. You love to talk about. You are a much. You are a positive person in life in general, and so you. No, I'm to- not. <laughs> no. Um, but no. So so. Believe me, Cubs Cardinals fans hate each other. Cubs White Sox fans. When I was here on my when I did my 30 stadium tour and I was at US Cellular uh, at the time. I had just come from Wrigley, and I'd say anybody that that heard that I just come from Wrigley, the first things I don't Ugh, those Why? people, those aren't baseball fans. Exactly. Those people, they party. They don't do. We're the real base. F them, screw them, whatever. Right. Yeah, Wrigley, Ugh, terrible ballpark. Like it was hysterical. It's just that gut reaction of. Ugh. I don't have that feeling. Um, uh, I when I walked in, you know, to the to the offices here. Mm-hmm. I when whenever we do a podcast, we wear the gear. I mean, well, Manish wears his gear every day. Of his right. Life. I know. I saw that in Baringo. <laughs> but the, the, yeah, yeah. The hat. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I, but I, you know, I wear my Cubs hat whenever I do a podcast as part of the thing. And and the the receptionist was like, "Oh, you had to wear that, did you?" Like coming yes. here, I was like, "I I have no problem with the White Sox." I've literally, I'm right. not, no, yeah, but others really, do. Really you know, the others do. So but yeah, it. and it's funny. I had a client once that, um, when I was taking care of something, he was supposed to, I think, change the base. So he was going to work with Roger Bossard. So you're out there, right? Um, for a while, you get trained on the field. He and it was the White Sox Cubs series. He had his, he's a Cubs fan, so we had his Cub jersey on, and I was honest. And I was like, "You're in our house, so you can't wear that because I can't have a fan." having the rivalry team working, you know, with our grounds crew, so to speak, because that's disrespectful in somebody's house. It's kind of like you don't bring, I'm a wino. I would say, I not that I would say no to beer because I'd have it for somebody else, but I'm like, oh, thanks. It's the same thing. You you bring somebody what they want. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, no, I mean, I, mean I, I wear my Tigers gear in places when I know, like, this is a little bit different. We're coming here. The the, the game isn't for hours, right, and exactly. you know we're we're in the bowels, and no one's gonna see me. But like uh, uh, when we're in a press box, I've, I've been in many many press boxes in my life. The hat comes off. The, the objective side of me comes out, and it is you respect the the where you are. You respect there. Yeah. Are you so I, tomorrow when we see the game here, I should not wear my Cubs hat. You're saying I, I would, shouldn't. Because I wear my saying, I wear my baseball hat wherever whenever I go to a baseball stadium. No, no, I hear you. I'm not necessarily you shouldn't. I can't tell I you. I mean, they're not playing the Cubs tomorrow. You know. No, I'm I not. I don't know who you will be sitting by. <laughs> so because might we don't give me a hard know. Time. Yeah, I mean, there I have are the some, old school. I have like the old that, the old logo that is not the you know not the more typical. Cubs have that, that right, right. It's the old bear basically. It's the, it's the cub. It's yeah. The, 
Maybe, yeah, because maybe that'll maybe it'll be safe. Yeah, that yeah. might be a little bit safer because now you're just you don't old. know, and it's a Fourth of July weekend, so yeah. every a lot of people are off today. They They're already tipping. having a good time. Yeah, drinking. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you yeah. this: that the, they were, you know, when I wore my Tigers hat, and so I didn't have to worry in most ballparks. Um, Oakland, I was a little bit worried just because you know the, the Tigers and the A's have kind of a weird postseason history recently. But uh, when I was at US Cellular, they couldn't have been sweeter. Like nobody gave. Mm-hmm. Me and I think there are a lot of Tigers fans that come come down here here to watch because it is so close and it's kind of there is that kind of camaraderie that that that, you know uh, there. Uh, The only place where I actually did have some problems was in Cleveland, Uh, Cleveland, because we were uh, the Tigers and the Indians were going through a bit of a a, a divisional battle there. You know, uh, this is 2013. Okay, and yeah, for the first couple of innings, they were definitely. Give me, you know, razzed me a bit. A and, hard time. And, and yeah, and yelling. But, you know, by the third, second or third inning, they realized, look, I'm, I was cheering for them. I oh, So I right. always root for the home team. If Except I'm in a ballpark. recently when we were at City Field. And for Anthony, when, when we were, were at City Field, we saw three games at City Field, and it was the Cubs-Mets. And so for Anthony, I, 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 did, root for, yeah, I did root for the I Cubs for him. Right. But other than that, tomorrow I will be cheering my heart out for the White Sox. You know, well, we're going to be going to – that's what I do. I don't – you know, because like you said, I look at it as I'm going to someone else's house. Right. And when you go to someone else's house, you don't put your feet up. You don't mess up their, their carpet. Right. You do what you do to make them – you know, we're, we're guests. Comfortable, right. Yeah. But so uh, we normally ask, you know, what, what your quintessential baseball moment is. But honestly, that your father living in U.S. Cellular for the rest of, of time is that's it. Like that's now U.S. Cellular can no longer. This needs to be your ballpark for the next hundred years. So let's just. I'm not living that long. <laughs> yeah, but Joe Black is. Joe yes, Black's going to yes, live for, for eternity. Joe Black is someone that, you know, ins- inspired millions. And, and I uh, like so. I said, Joe Black. More than a Dodger, please, please. There's please, no question. Please, I don't. There's that. no hope about it. He, he did. He oh, did. Oh, thank you. No, it's true. Oh yeah, because I, mean, I. It's 100 true. Um, besides the baseball stuff, I, I hope that when people pick up the book, they can read that. You know, he may have been dirt poor, like everybody complains about being so poor now, but we're not as bad as it used to be. Absolutely. Um, that he lived his dream, and he was an amazing father. Because my whole dream of doing this was that men know. I think, as we all do at work, when somebody says you do a good job, you want to do better. When somebody at work is like, mm, God, that's too bad you didn't do it the right way. That does not give you the incentive to always do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope this book shows fathers that I'm telling you, you're good parents. So when you tell somebody that, hopefully they want to step up and do more. Sure. Um, and they were good African-American fathers before Dr. Huxtable and before President Obama. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and, you know, a lot of people don't see that. And I'm not saying because my dad was a major league baseball player in his life. That's why he was a great father. No. But my dad was a good man. My dad did everything for me. My dad did my hair for a year. And this was one of his fingers. <laughs> and He's then, holding up two fingers. Yes, he had very together. thick, yes, large big fingers. big hands. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he found the one, and I do mean one only, African-American hairdresser, Bertha, in Arizona, and I started getting my hair done at age six. So, um, and he would sit there to watch everything she did, though. And he would ask her questions, why are you doing this and what about this? Because he was learning, because he did not want somebody else to do something that he wouldn't think that made sense. So, you know, it's all about the parent. Well, thank you so very, very much. You know, I, I opened this show by saying that, you know, you guys are about to hear some amazing stories, and this is just scratching the tip top of the surface you know uh, martha's got just a lifetime worth of great stories a lot of them were in the book joe uh joe black more than a dodger and she's 
you were one of my favorite people. I was telling Anthony last Thanks. night, uh, you know, when we flew in here that, you know, I wish you lived in New York because I'd like to hang out with you all the time. You were I'd just... like to live in New York, too. But yeah, Major League Baseball won't give me a job yet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one day. Um, so you mean in the front office. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it'll happen. Somebody. It'll happen. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, I don't have any. <laughs> I was I like, know. oh, thanks. I mean, no, I said, call. You should, we, you should, you we should. We should. You know, the Clubhouse podcast. Jerry, hey, Jerry Reinsdorf is never going to let you go, it sounds like. So yeah, that is. No, he would. Yeah, he's he's like, oh, my gosh, I have to get you married. He wants to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time here in the Clubhouse. You can follow us on Twitter at Clubhouse Pod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved in the discussion, so please email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special. Or honestly, just if you want to say hello. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes and share this with your fellow baseball friends. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. That just makes it easier for other folks to be able to find out about our podcast. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are always hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is just the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.